that his grace, his mercy, his favor, his kindness to us, oh my, do we deserve it? No. Not a bit, no way, but he is good to us. I want to continue on that subject of God's grace, and more particularly, his grace in the church and through the church. The church is God's vehicle, a predominant vehicle for, for expressing his grace in the world uh, today. And as we look at that, I want to focus even more particularly on this subject of spiritual gifting. We began that a couple weeks ago, and I want to, there's a couple more things I want to say about that to you with respect to spiritual gifting. I suggested to you that the church ought to be, and, and certainly God means for it to be, full of his spirit. Is that a, do we agree to that? We talk about it being a spirit-filled church. A spirit-filled church would also be, by uh, synonymously, a grace-filled church, wouldn't it? And I suggested that there were a couple of things that you could recognize uh, a spirit-filled church. This is, you know, sometimes we we stereotype a, a, a spirit-filled church and we think that, you know, you go by rolling in the aisles and everybody's got to be hooping and hollering and doing all sorts of things. And when in fact, uh, a spirit-filled church is marked by things, I think, much more substantial than that. How do you know that a church is full of the Spirit? How do you know that a church is full of grace? By certain characteristics. The first one was that they are a people, they are a people who know, not just, not just intellectually, they know in their life there's a settled peace, a settled conviction that they know that they're accepted by God. And they're accepted by God because they deserve it. Because they perform so well. Is that right? Why are they accepted by God? Because of what Jesus has done, right? Jesus performed for us, didn't he? Jesus paid the full price. Jesus hung on that cross. Jesus took... The, the beating, if you will, and paid the penalty for us that we might experience the grace of God. So you, you sit here today and, and you're, you're reminded again as we worship him, as we sing his praises, as we thank him, you're reminded once again, God, you accept me. In the midst of all of my craziness, in the midst of my weakness and my faults and my sins and my foolishness and in my immaturity, you still accept me. Isn't that glorious? And it's not because of anything I am or anything I've done. It's because of Jesus and because of what you're doing in me now. And once you realize and you can, in, in your own life, realize the fact that, that God has accepted you, there's a certain peace now that guards your mind and heart. You don't have to be anxious or fearful. You don't have to jump through hoops to perform, to to meet the standard in order to get God to like you. You're accepted. God accepts you. And because you're accepted, and, and you know that down deep in the deepest part of you, you can then be accepting. We can accept one another. We can look around and miss all of our strangeness, idiosyncrasies, quirks, we can kind of appreciate each other, can't we? Rather than being critical and judgmental of one another, we can be more accepting of one another. Why? Because God has accepted us. 
And a church that is accepted and accepting is a church that can also be, anybody remember what the second characteristic? Open and honest. Open and honest, because in that kind of environment where you know that you're accepted, you can come into that environment and, and, and be loved and accepted, and certainly not perfectly, but, but that's our goal. That's the, that's the ideal we're striving towards. But in that kind of environment, it, it's, it's safer. It's easier to be open. It's easier to confess your sins. It's easier to be vulnerable. It's easier to unburden yourself of the things that weigh you down, that you keep secret. Open and honest. And in that kind of environment where, where there's openness and honesty, there can be also a greater opportunity for giving and serving. Because now needs become visible. Needs become visible in people's lives. And, and we're moved with the compassion of God to, to help meet those needs, to give ourselves away, to serve. And as a corollary to that, in a grace-filled church, you see now in evidence the gifts of the Spirit being displayed. You see God's gifted people, all of the gifts that he's built into every single believer begin to come to the fore. They begin to come to the surface and they begin to be in evidence because the needs are visible. And God moves us to serve, doesn't he? But if it's not an environment of safety, if it's not an environment where people can feel accepted, they can, you can come in, whether it's the larger group, it's the smaller groups, uh, our ministry arenas, uh, there, there has to be uh, permeating the life of a church the reality that we are accepted and we are accepting. That doesn't preclude the fact that there may, may need to be a rebuke given. That doesn't preclude the fact that there may need to be some discipline brought to bear, but lovingly so with grace and compassion, not condemnation, rejection. And so we see the gifts in display. The manifestation of the gifts of the Spirit. Now you call the gifts, we looked at it, if you just look with me, just want to rehearse a couple of passages with you. Romans chapter 12, the Apostle Paul identifies, again, some representative gifts. It's not an exhaustive list. None of these lists are exhaustive. But they're clearly representative and there's some redundancy even in these lists. In chapter 12, the Apostle Paul says, verse 3, or actually verse 4, he says, Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. He uses the metaphor of a body with lots of different parts, but they all function together. The hand doesn't have the same function as the foot, but they're both necessary to the overall health and well-being of the body. Would you agree? He says, so in Christ, another way to say in, in the church, the body of Christ, in Christ, we who are many form one body. And each member belongs to all the others. We, we're dependent on one another. We, I'm dependent on you, you're dependent on me. We have different gifts. Notice this. According to the grace given us. These gifts are gifts of grace. They're expressions of God's grace. 
And they're given toward the, first for the building up of the body, but ultimately they're given for the glory of God, are they not? That God be glorified. We have different gifts according to the grace given us, and then he identifies some representative gifts. He says, if a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. Over in, in 1 Corinthians 12, we'll see in just a few minutes, there are, are varieties of gifts. There are varieties of, of workings of those gifts, varieties of ministries, and the idea being is that the gift of prophecy is given. Different people have, have that same gift, but they have it in varying proportions for different reasons and purposes. So however, however whatever faith God has given you, if he's given you that gift or whatever gift, you use it in proportion to the grace and the faith he's given you. Not everybody has the same expression of the same gift. That's the point. He says, if it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. In other words, let them do it. Encourage that to be done. Provide the environment for that to be done, for ministry to occur according to our gifts. Look over with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Verse 4, we're told this. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit... There are different kinds of service, or literally ministries, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, or effects of those gifts, but the same God works all of them in all men. And so there's a, there's a whole continuum of spiritual gifts. None better than others. They're all necessary. They're all critical and important, just like all the parts of the body are critical. And they're all given in varying measure to different people for varying ministries. Verse 7, now to each one the manifestation. Notice the definite article, the manifestation of the Spirit. That's, that's this gift. The manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Again, this idea that we are, we are together. We're a body. It's for the common good. It's not just to edify yourself, not just to puff you up, to say, well, look at me, I have this gift. No, it's for the common good, for the building up of the body. Isn't that great? He says, to one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish routine spirits, to another the ability to speak in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he gives them to each one just as he determines. So however God has gifted you, spiritually speaking, it's just like your, your natural talents and abilities. You know, I don't know about you, but... These musicians up here, sometimes we go, oh, man, I wish I could do that. Wish I was gifted like that. No, God has gifted you naturally in some other way. And just as he's gifted each one of us naturally 
uniquely, marvelously, he gives us spiritual gifts, supernatural gifts that are very, very unique. But he determines, this is the gift I'm going to give. This is how I want to use you. This is what I'm going to give. I've already set out a ministry for you. I have a place for you. Works prepared before the creation of the world for you to do. And I'm going to equip you for those things. Wow. Unique. Special. Turn over to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. This is a, another short list of gifts that he gives to the church. Verse 11. It was he, meaning Christ, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. He gave them to prepare God's people for works of service. In other words, again, for the building up of the body, for the common good. Prepare God's people for works of service, the works that he prepared before the creation of the world that we should involve ourselves in. so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. How many want to become mature? Grow up, <laughs> right? Not everybody always raise their hands. <laughs> Attaining, he says, look at this, to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. God's grown his body up. Over in Romans chapter 8, you recall that his purpose is to conform us to the likeness of who? Christ himself. It would be like Jesus. That's his purpose. That's the process that we're all in. That we look like Jesus. And he says the same thing here in this particular passage. So the, the point I want to make is that these are representative uh, lists, representative samples, if you will, of spiritual gifts. They are gifts of God's grace. They are expressions of God's grace. They are unearned. Expressions of his kindness that he showers on us simply because he loves us and simply because he wills to act graciously toward us. Somebody say hallelujah. I think that's absolutely marvelous. Now not only does he give these gifts by his grace, he also, by his grace, awakens them. He awakens them. So when you're born again and you become a Christian, you get the Holy Spirit and you get all the equipment that he means for you to have. Okay? You, get, you, you come fully loaded. You don't have to do aftermarket parts later. You come fully loaded. But it requires the Holy Spirit, by His grace now, to awaken those gifts in you that He's built into you. It's just like natural talents and abilities. You may not know what talents and abilities you possess until someone comes along and helps identify them and awaken those natural talents and abilities. Isn't that true? Some people just discover, some, some people late in life discover they have an ability to do something. They go, wow, I never realized I could do this. And it opens up a whole new dimension to their life, doesn't it? So just like that happens in the natural realm, in the spiritual realm, in the supernatural realm, the Holy Spirit awakens by His grace 
these spiritual gifts in our life. You see, when grace awakens the human heart to new life, it will also inevitably awaken those gifts that God has given. Let me give you an example. Now, there's two types of gifts, generally speaking. I want to I speak about natural endowment gifts and then special supernatural endowment gifts. Natural endowment. Let me, let me use Paul as an example. Saul of Tarsus became Paul the Apostle, didn't he? Saul was a, a righteous, pharisaical Jew, zealous for the Mosaic Law, zealous for Judaism, took it upon himself to persecute this cultic, in his mind, this, this, this cultic way that was blaspheming God, claiming that this Jesus, this person who died the death of a common criminal on a cross, that he was the Messiah, uh, he was making himself equal to God, and Paul was determined to stamp out those heretical, blasphemous, cultic people. He found himself on the road to Damascus. The record of that is in the book of Acts, chapter 9. That's right. Chapter 9. Would you say that, that Saul of Tarsus had a keen mind? Would you say that he knew the law. He talks, him, he talks about himself in Philippians. He describes himself, he says, a, a Pharisee, a lawyer, a, a teacher of the law, well-schooled, intelligent, capable, gifted in many ways. Very, very gifted man. Would you agree with me? Saul of Tarsus. All of those abilities, all of those talents that he possessed were not the gifts of the Spirit. Not as we're describing. They were not the gifts of the Spirit because why? He did not yet know the Spirit. These abilities, great though they were, could only be used not for the building up of the church, but rather they could only be used for the destruction of the church. All of his energy, all of his talents, all of his abilities, all of his training could only be used for the tearing down, the destruction of the church. Not for the building up of the church. That's the spiritual giftings are for. You can't build up the church unless you're spiritually gifted to do so. But what happened when grace met him on that road to Damascus? You recall that he... He was confronted by the risen Lord Jesus. He was blinded. Sir, who are you? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Why do you persecute me? Three days he was given blind to reorder his categories. You ever been kind of set aside a little bit? So you can kind of think through things? You go, whoa, I need to examine some things here. I need to look at what I've been thinking and how I've been living my life. Three days, God blinded him, allowed him to reconsider, reorder his categories. And then all of those tremendous abilities and passions that he possessed were freed now to serve Christ 
and to build up his body. Almost immediately, if you go back to chapter 9 of the book of Acts, verses 20 through 22, almost immediately you see that he begins to, to exercise this marvelous supernatural gift of evangelism. And God dovetails all the things that he built into him at this point, and he transforms them. These natural endowments, natural talents, And he uses them now, and he, he uh, ties them into this gift of evangelism. And immediately he begins to evangelize. Luke says that once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. And he silenced, even silenced, the Jews up in Damascus. And then later on, as Paul continued, his God, the grace of God more fully penetrated his mind, mastered his heart, and he became the apostle of grace to the Gentiles. You see, God just continued to expand his ministry, continued to awaken in him all these marvelous talents and abilities and transform them into spiritual gifts to transform and to build up the church. Beloved, that's simply what grace does when it meets our natural endowments, our natural abilities transforms them, awakens them, changes them. Instead of destructive forces, they become constructive forces. Instead of expressing our neuroses, if you will, instead of expressing or feeding our own ambition, these natural talents and abilities become a demonstration of God's love, not only to us, but God's love through us. And the Holy Spirit then is the effective agent of transformation. The Holy Spirit, you can't transform your own natural abilities and talents. You can't imbue them with supernatural power. Only God can do that. And that's exactly what he does. He transforms natural potential into gifts of grace. Think for a moment with me. What natural talents and abilities has he given you? They just don't go by the wayside. He doesn't just discard them. There is no waste in God's economy of things. He takes all the natural talents and abilities he's already built into you, and he imbues them with supernatural grace and power, transforms them into spiritual gifts. What are you good at? What are you good at? What's your passion? What do you really like that God can take and utilize and transform into a spiritual gift and a ministry? See, we don't typically necessarily think that way. My wife has a spiritual gift of mercy and compassion and giving and encouragement. She's my wife's an encourager. She has a spiritual gift of garage sale. <laughs> no, she really does. Now, that, sounds, that sounds crazy. Oh, there's no spiritual gift of garage sale. No, there really is. By implication, because of what he's built into her and what he, the kind of person he's made her, he's, 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 he's caused all of those natural abilities in her to be transformed. She goes on garage sales because she has, she has in her mind all these people who collect different things and who, who she just wants to give little gifts to. And she just is phenomenal. She, can, she has the patience of Job to go through boxes to look through things <laughs> I just drive me crazy. <laughs> but she can do this. And she comes up with these little treasures. 
And every Saturday morning when I get home from my meetings, I say, I say what, tell me about your treasures. She tells me all these treasures. I say, what are you going to do with that? She says, well, that's for so-and-so. And what about that? Well, that's for so-and-so. And what about that? Well, that's for so-and-so. And she just has all this stuff, and she just gets this little catalog in her mind. That is a spiritual gift <laughs> to bless people, to build them up. Incredible. I say that because you, you don't know that sometimes the things that you enjoy the most, God can use those things for his glory and for the building up of the body. They become really, they really do become an expression of his spiritual gifting, his, the means of his grace. It doesn't have to be some big, huge, formal thing. You don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to be evangelist in the, in the, in the classic sense of that word. You can, you can be given a supernatural spiritual gift if you just like to talk to people. If you're willing just to talk to people, God can give you the words to say. But sometimes we're, we're not thinking along those lines. Lord, use me. What are, what are these abilities? See, it's under, under his leading that these, these abilities become gifts and they're developed and they're exercised. They're the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And then there are, 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 are miraculous gifts that he gives us that we didn't have before. I, I had the gift of tongues. I can speak in tongues. And, and, and I didn't know what that was when I became a Christian, first of all. I never heard of it. And one morning, I'm just reading my Bible, praying, and all of a sudden, I start babbling. I'm like, what in the world is this? And finally, I found someone who could explain it to me. Talk about freaking somebody out. <laughs> but supernatural gifts, he gives too. And he wants to use these gifts. He gives them for reasons. To build up the body and beloved to glorify himself. So gifts, he awakens gifts in the individual, but he also awakens gifts in the body. This is so important for us to remember, because we are part of the body, that's right. See, when grace is functioning, as we suggested earlier, when grace is functioning in the body, when grace is functioning in the body, grace will give birth to a whole host of gifts in that body. Gifts will just be popping up all over the place. People will be involved in all kinds of things when grace is functioning in the body. We've already seen this. Grace leads to giving, doesn't it? How do we know that? Well, because God gave. God gave. He still gives, doesn't he? You see, if you, if you think back with me again, what, what do you think is, the, is probably the deepest human, personal, heart need? What do you think is the deepest human heart need? Think. The need for... How many, how many is your favorite thing to be rejected? It's your favorite thing. That's why you went into sales. You love being rejected. No, none of us do. We fear it. We do everything we can to avoid being rejected, don't we? The flip side of that is what? We do everything we can to be accepted. 
That's why God accepts us. That's why it's so critical. That's why it's so critical that we not just be religious people, but that we be people in a relationship with God, confident of his unconditional acceptance. And it's only God that can meet that need. I can't accept you unconditionally. A fallen, imperfect being cannot perfectly accept another fallen, imperfect being, by definition. Only a perfect being can unconditionally accept an imperfect being. But he does so on the basis of Christ's work on that cross. And so our greatest need is the need for acceptance, as I said earlier. God is the only one who can meet that need. And once that need has been met, once you come to grips with it, once you realize it, man, you're set free. All of a sudden, it's not about you anymore. You're not compulsing. You're not fretting. You're not worried about what people think. You're not worried about what people say. You're not worried if they accept you or not. It doesn't matter because God accepts you. That comes through so powerfully in your life. You are all right with God. Isn't that great? And now, because you're all right with God, because you're free, now you are free to what? To accept other people and to minister in their lives. The very thing we've been talking about. You're set free to see the needs in other people's lives and to start giving yourself to meet those needs. This is where the openness and honesty is so critical because in an environment of grace where there is openness and honesty in that fellowship, it makes it possible to know in a much deeper way what the real needs are. If we don't have visibility of the needs, sometimes we think, you know, sometimes, beloved, we think the church should be perfect. Right? Everybody should have it together. Man, the church is a hospital. No, it's an emergency room. <laughs> Trauma center. People bleeding all over the place. I mean, there isn't a single one of us in this room this morning that hasn't got some grief, sorrow, fear, challenge, concern in our life, and we're going, oh, God, help! Ellen had us praying for each other this morning. See, when, when we're more open, when we're more honest, then the Spirit of God, working through people, seeing those needs, moved by compassion, begin to step in and meet those needs because their needs have been met. And as we start giving ourselves, we begin to really discover, we really begin to discover our own gifts and the gifts of other people in the body. We can validate other people's giftings. We say, you know, I think you have the gift of, I think you have the gift of, I'm watching you. Each one of us, as I suggested earlier, are created uniquely, and we are recreated uniquely. Different from everybody else. Just like I have natural talents and abilities that are unique and different from you, you, we have spiritual talents and abilities and gifts that are unique and different from everybody else. And this uniqueness, note this please, this uniqueness blooms within a gracious community. If you don't have a gracious community, all this uniqueness is just going to be flat. It's not going to bloom. It's not going to blossom. It's not going to flourish. But if it's in a context of a gracious community, you see it absolutely blooming. It was always there in potential. 
always there in potential, but the gracious community calls it into service. And as we begin to serve, we also begin to discover one another's uniqueness. And the reality is that my gift comes to me not only as a gift from God, but also as a gift from you. As I give myself to you, I don't lose myself. I what? I find myself. I love Jesus' words. If you're willing to lose your life for my sake and for the gospel, then you will find yourself. We have so many people today in our culture trying to find themselves. And and, and it's all about them. They're so self-absorbed. They're confused. They're lost. They're in years and years and years of therapy trying to find themselves. When Jesus said, no, 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 lose yourself. Lose yourself for my sake and for the sake of the gospel. Then you're going to find out who you are. Then you're really going to grow up and mature. Then your life is going to count. It's only then that your life will flourish. Be willing to lose yourself for his sake. Through our mutual acceptance, our openness, and our giving, we find that we help each other discover how God has gifted us. If we're just busy doing our own thing without reference to one another's needs, we will never have discovered how God gifts us. We'll never discover who we are in Christ. We'll never mature. Never. And remember, these gifts themselves are expressions of God's grace. They are ways in which we share God's grace with one another. There are ways in which we serve one another without reference to what is deserved, without reference to what is owed, what is earned. Well, you weren't nice to me, so I'm not going to minister to you. Isn't that typically what happens? We withhold the grace of God. God doesn't do that. He doesn't say, well, you didn't pray today, so I'm not going to shower your life with grace. How many of us, how many of us have, have, have not done our religious duty every day and still our life is working? Or we something, something bad happens, we say, oh, God's mad at me, what did I do wrong, Why did I, what did I do to deserve this, right? No! He loves you now every bit as much as he ever will in all eternity. It's not on you, it's him working in you. As you trust Him, trust Him, and you trust Him, and as you trust Him, you surrender, and as you surrender, you're willing to risk and step out. And then you discover life. Then you discover life. I mean, He can give us all the blessings, but unless we're postured to receive them, we're going to miss out, aren't we? He has to jam His grace down our throat. Isn't that delightful? For some of us? Will you receive from me? (laughs) We do this not from obligation. Our motivation, beloved, is because we love one another. He loved us first, and so we love. And simply love gives, doesn't it? God so loved us. He loved us so much that he gave He gave his one and only son that whoever, whoever, whoever 
No qualifications. Whoever would believe, oh, he'd save them. So our gifts then are, are, are really our love gifts to one another. I mean, we can give you money, we can give you stuff, but that, that's so temporary, so transitory, but what really lasts is, is a spiritual gift ministry effort in your life. Every time you see spiritual gifts discovered in the Scriptures, those three passages we looked at earlier, in conjunction with all three of those passages, every time there's spiritual gifts mentioned, there is also a mention of love. In Romans chapter 12, after you get through that little discussion of spiritual giftings, down to verse 9, the first sentence of verse 9, talks about love. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, right after that discussion of spiritual gifts in chapter 12, you jump right to chapter 13, and he talks about love, the great love chapter. Ephesians chapter 4, as, we, as he's discussed the gifts given to the church in that short little passage, down the last phrase of verse 16 of Ephesians chapter 4, he talks about the church being built up in love. Love. Beloved, if we use the gifts for any purpose other than building one another up in love, we are just simply prostituting them. That's our purpose. That's our goal. That's our motive. In short, love simply cannot be separated from the gifts. The gifts are not given for our own self-aggrandizement, for our own self-edification. They're given for the building up of the body. They're you're given to express love. That's what gives the gifts meaning. I don't know what to do with you. I don't know what to do for you. Well, but God's given me a gift. I can minister this gift to your life. Far greater effect than if I just gave you some material thing. That love, if it is to be genuine, must be gracious, must give of itself freely without reference to uh, what is deserved, what is earned, what is owed. Freely you have received, he says, and freely give. Love, because it is love, must express itself in grace to all whom it touches. Just by very definition of what it is, love, must express itself in grace. When people say, I love you, it's not just words. That love, if it's genuine, must express itself in grace. I love you. I love you. I love you. Is there grace underlying those words? Is there grace being communicated? Husbands, when you say, I love you to your wife, does she sense and feel the grace of God through you to her. Wives, when you say to your husbands, I love you, do they sense, do they feel the grace of God through those words? And these spiritual gifts we've been talking about, these are the vehicles. These are the vehicles that love uses to convey that grace. Spiritual gifts. How do we convey the grace of God? How do we show that we really love? It's through these very special gifts that God gives his church. For the building up of the body that we all attain maturity, the unity in the faith, built up in love. Grace. Shall we continue to strive for 
a gracious, spirit-filled church? Shall we keep this in the forefront of our thinking? Lord, help us. Help us to be mindful of your acceptance. Help us to be accepting people. Help us to be more open and honest, more giving and serving. And Lord, as we are, we're going to see, we're going to see gifts emerge. You don't need a program to get spiritual gifts up and, up and running. You just need to be people who love God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you again for your grace to us. Help us, Lord, as we think on these things and pray about them and bring them to you, Lord, that uh, we would be people who really do understand and know what it means to be accepted by you, that we are people who can know your peace, your peace that guards our minds and hearts. Not anxious, not fearful, not jealous, not bitter. Peaceful people, accepted people, who are set free to accept others, warts and all, to enjoy others. And Lord, in that environment, it's so much easier for all of us to be more open, more honest, As we gain visibility of needs, Lord, moved by your spirit and your, your compassion, we can meet those needs. And you've even given us the very equipment to do that with, spiritual gifts. God, you've done it all. Thank you. Thank you. Help us, Lord. Maybe we need to reprioritize some things in our lives. If that be the case, speak to each one of us, I pray, O oh God. We love you this morning. Thank you for allowing us to be here today. Amen.